Hello, my name is Rivi Frankel. Welcome to Torah Imecha Nach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be studying Sefer Zechariah, Perak Yud Bet. Yesterday, in Perak Yud Aleph, chapter 11, we saw the harsh punishment for both the corrupt leadership and the Jewish people. Today's Perak chapter will single out the leader of the Jewish people, the Davidic dynasty from the tribe of Yehuda, as the savior of Yerushalayim and the Jews. While the chapter includes heavy elements, Chazal, our sages, have a reading of one section of the chapter that I hope we will all find comforting and inspiring. Pasuk Aleph, verse 1. Masad devar Hashem al Yisrael. Neum Hashem noteshemayim v'yoseid aretz v'yotzer ruach adam bekirbo. Masad devar Hashem is a phraseology that we've already seen. It means a pronouncement of the word of Hashem to Yisrael. But we also know that the word Masah comes from the word for burden. We are about to feel something heavy. And the prophet Zechariah is preparing us with his language. Ne'um Hashem noteshemayim, so says God, who stretches out the heavens and founded the earth and created man with ruach, with wind in him. Pasuk Aleph, verse 1, in addition to telling us that what we are about to read is going to be hard and heavy, also tells us that it is coming from the God who has been God for all of time. He is the same God that created the heavens and the earth, the same God that created man. And with that image, we see Ruach Adam Bekerbo created man's breath in him. On the one hand, we have a reference to Breshit, to the story of creation where God, where God makes man, B'Tselem Elohim, in his own image. And yet we very obviously have that element missing from this Pasuk. So on the one hand, this is the God who's been the God forever and the constant God in the same way that Shemayim and Aretz and man, heaven and earth and people are constant. And yet we see that there is some distance in this as well. And then the verses 2 through 6 go on to tell us of a horrible time in Jerusalem, where Jerusalem will be a place of pain for all of the people around. And even Yehuda says, Pasuk Bet, verse 2, And Yehuda, the Jewish people, will also be caught up in the siege around Jerusalem. And as the Chapter continues, we see that this same imagery that we had yesterday, where the shepherds would be allowed to treat the sheep however they wanted, and yet at the end of the day, those shepherds would also be punished, we see that people will be allowed to come against Jerusalem, but also they will be injured in the process. Pasuk Dalit tells us, verse 4, Bayomahun umashem, ake kol sus and on that day, this day where Jerusalem will be in pain and yet there will be this um, retribution as well for the causers of the pain, Hashem says they will strike every horse with panic 
and every rider with a craziness. But over the house of Yehuda, I will watch while I strike every horse of all the other people with blindness. And so the thousands of people of Yehuda will say in their heart, The people in, who are living in Yerushalayim are being protected by God. Zechariah continues to say that Yehuda will be like a flaming pipe among sticks and a flaming torch among sheaves of wheat. And that anything that these flaming items touch will devour the people who are putting a siege on Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will continue to exist. At this point, we see an uptick in the tone of the parak, where we see that the Hashem will give victory to Yehuda, and there will be glory to Beit David, and there will be glory to everybody who's living in Jerusalem. On that day, Hashem, God, will shield the people that are sitting in Jerusalem. And the, the weakest of them shall be that day like David, like the strong King David. And the house of David will be like an angel, like an angel of Hashem at their head. And then we see something interesting. Just as these enemies of Jerusalem, of the Jewish people, are being wiped out by their proximity to the flaming instruments of Yehuda and the house of David, we see that there is compassion and a eulogy that takes place in Pasuk Yud and Pasuk Yud Aleph, verse 10 and verse 11. Hashem will fill the house of David and the people living in Jerusalem with passion and, and pity. And they're going to lament to Hashem about the people that were killed. And they're going to cry over them as if this was their favorite child, as if this was their Bechor, their firstborn. And on that day, says Pasuk Yidalef, that the wailing in Yerushalayim is going to be as great as the wailing in Hadad Rimon, in the plains of Megidon, perhaps Megiddo, this is the only time in Tanakh that we have this Hadad Rimon referenced. So we don't know what happened in Hadad Rimon or why there was so much crying. But we do know that this is supposed to be a comparison where the crying in Yerushalayim will be huge. And it won't be just Yerushalayim that's crying. But the land itself will cry. The end of the parak, the end of the chapter details for us the different groups of people that will cry. You can feel the pain. You can feel the sorrow by the time you get to the end of this chapter. And so now we're at the end of the chapter and we're saying, where's the comfort? Where's the beauty? We feel the masau. We feel the heaviness. And in order to see where Chazal, our sages, come to show us some of that comfort and that inspiration, we have to ask ourselves, who are the people eulogizing? Some of the commentators suggest that the eulogy is for the Jewish people's enemies because that's what it seems like from the text. But why would they be crying over their enemies? We see in the story of the exodus of Egypt that the Jewish people sang shira, praise to God, 
when the Egyptian army was drowned in the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds. Should we be reacting to this verse here in Zechariah by saying, wow, look at the Jewish people who are crying for the suffering of people, even if it's for the people that hurt them? Or do we need to wonder what is going on here that's different than the story of Egypt? One suggestion is this is actually a sign of how traumatized the Jewish people are after this exile, or perhaps assuming that Zechariah is not prophesizing specifically for his generation, but after thousands of years of exile. The fact that they were forced from their homes to go from country to country and place to place, and then to see Jerusalem under siege, still in exile, created some form of what today might be called Stockholm Syndrome, according to these commentators. Rav Hirsch, however, sees the situation differently, and as far as I know, he's the only commentator who has a positive take on this situation. He says, Here is a display of nobility by the inhabitants of Yerushalayim, praying for their enemies and the pity felt for them. Those who for so long were victims of vile violence and heartless oppression weep at the destruction of their oppressors and pray for grace on their behalf. It reminds me of a quote of Rabbi Sachs when he talks about why Yaakov is afraid when he's going to meet Esau. The verse tells us that he's afraid and he has anxiety, and many of the commentators ask, what is the difference between these two words? And some would like to suggest that perhaps Yaakov is afraid that he's going to have to kill somebody, or perhaps he himself will be killed. But then we have to ask the question, well, if Yaakov is killing somebody who's coming to kill him, isn't that justified? Rabbi Sachs says, yes, it is justified. However, Yaakov recognizes that even if he's justified in the act of taking a life, it still does something to him. What Rav Hirsch is teasing out here is that same thing that Rav Sachs says about Yaakov is that there is a sense of looking at a person and saying, these are people, regardless of my relationship to them, vis-a-vis them being my enemy. I will repeat the words of Rabbi Hirsch, of Rav Hirsch, those who for so long were victims of vile violence and heartless oppression, weep at the destruction of their oppressors and pray for grace on their behalf. Like I said, as far as I know, Rav Hirsch is the only commentator who takes this positive view. And the Gemara in Sukkah 52 gives us a totally different take and suggests that the people are not eulogizing their enemies, but rather crying over Mashiach ben Yosef. The other suggestion that this Gemara gives is that they're actually crying over the Yetzirah, their evil inclination. Mashiach ben Yosef, that makes sense. He will be an important leader and part of the process of redemption. But why would the people be crying over their Yetzirah, the evil inclination? The Gemara continues and says that to the righteous, the evil inclination looks like a mountain. They will cry and say, how did we get up this mountain? Sometimes when we are faced with a challenge that takes time to overcome, it is only after we are safely at the top of the mountain that we have the emotional space to look back and process how hard and steep the climb was. The wicked cry because the evil inclination to them looks like a strand of hair. They cry, how did I not overcome this, this small, thin, insignificant obstacle? Either way, righteous or evil, 
They are releasing the pain of the past, ready to step into redemption. I bless us that when we are faced with a challenge in life, we have the strength to climb the mountain, however steep it is, but also that we learn from this chapter to take the time to pause at the top as righteous people who walk in the ways of God and give ourselves space to process, reflect on, and even cry over the struggle that it took to get there. Chazal connecting this imagery with the crying and the eulogy allows us to recognize in ourselves and be comforted by the fact that the process is heavy. The process might be emotional, but when we get to the top, there will be time for us to release. When we get to the top, we will see how far we've really come. Thank you for studying together. Le'ilui Nishmat, Riva Schwab, Rivka, but Alexander Sender.